Brad Beltora, calling believers from man's institutions to God's instructions. Purim 2021 is almost here. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. Purim is a story of two conflicting sides, and the Elohim of Israel is on the winning side. So whose side are you on? Well, that's a good question, Mama. To our listeners, you can email us at redpiltorah at gmail.com, follow us on redpiltorah.podbean.com, find us at our website, www.redpiltorah.com, as well as on Facebook, Twitter, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Deezer, TuneIn, Spotify, Listen Notes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Pandora, Tumblr, and YouTube. We love to hear from you. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Thank you all who have already done so. And we also want to send a big shout out to our listeners in South Carolina and the Philippines. At the time this podcast was recorded, it's the week of Purim 2021. Now, in our episode 29, Purim and the First Commandment, we reviewed the story of Purim, as well as some points related to its meaning. Like all of the ways of Yehovah, the story of Purim is so full of meaning that we can't cover everything there is to say about it. We know that this story took place while the Jewish people were in exile from the Promised Land because they had disobeyed Yehovah's instructions. At this time, they were removed from their temple, so the things that they used to do to seek the will and favor of Yehovah were not available to them. While Israel was in exile, a descendant of Amalek began to rise in prominence in the government. The book of Esther, chapter 3, gives us some detail about who this descendant is. It says, Sometime later, King Ahasuerus began to single out Haman, the son of Hamdatah, the Agagite, for advancement. Now, the Agagites were descendants of Amalek. Now, King um, Ahasuerus eventually gave Haman precedence over his fellow officers. All the king's servants at the king's gate would kneel and bow down before Haman because the king had ordered so. But Mordecai would neither kneel nor bow down to him. Now, verse 5 continues, Haman was furious when he saw that Mordecai was not kneeling and bowing down to him. However, on learning what people Mordecai belonged to, that being the Jews, it seemed to him a waste to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Rather, he decided to, to destroy all of Mordecai's people throughout the whole of Ahasuerus' kingdom. It was now the twelfth year of the rule of the king, Ahasuerus. During Nisan, the first month of the year, Haman said, Find out the best time for me to do this. The time chosen was Adar, the twelfth month. As we know from the story, Esther has already replaced Vashti as queen. Esther's lineage was not a consideration in choosing her to be the queen. Ultimately, her Jewish heritage creates a real turning point in this story. With support from her cousin Mordecai, Esther displayed the courage to reveal how Haman's actions would impact her and the Jewish people. Through what I would call a divine reversal, Haman went from a celebrated leader to an executed criminal. Miss, let's talk about some of the messages in the story of Esther. Sounds like a great idea. How about we start with her name, Tim? Cool. In chapter 2, we learn that 
Her Hebrew name is Hadassah. Hadassah means myrtle. Her cousin Mordecai insisted that she not reveal her Jewish identity, so she went by the name Esther. Now, Esther is a respectable Persian name for a girl. It means star. And maybe it was chosen to suggest that she was brilliant and beautiful. Mm. In Hebrew, however, the word Esther means hidden. So it seems the name Esther was chosen to keep her identity hidden while everyone else just thought it meant star. Mm. You know, the Bible tells us that Esther was raised by her cousin Mordecai. Both of her parents had died some time before. So here we see Yehovah's pattern of choosing people who, in the world system, may not be the most likely choices, you know? The last will be first and the first last. Now, as we mentioned earlier, Haman used poor, something like uh, dice, to determine the date of the demise of the Jewish people. Haman used what seemed to be a random process to determine the date. However, he did not count on the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being ever-present with his people, working in the background to turn the tables. You know, this this Haman guy seems a lot like uh, some other characters over the history of the world. Some of the names include Pharaoh, Antiochus Epiphanes, and Adolf Hitler. Mm. So where did this Haman guy come from? Well, Dan, from our research, Haman was an Amalekite. Genesis 36 gives us insight into where Amalekite Amalek came from. Starting at verse 6, we read, Esau took his wives, his sons and daughters, the others in his household, his cattle and other animals, and everything else he owned, which he had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went off to a country distant from his brother, Yaakov. For their possessions had become too great for them to live together, and the countryside through which they were traveling couldn't support so much livestock. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. Mm-hmm. Verses 9 through 12 tells us that Esau had a son named Eliphaz, who had a son named Amalek. Oh, okay. From the scriptures misread, we see where the contention between Israel and Amalek started. Genesis chapter 25, starting at verse 21, says, Yitzhak prayed to Jehovah on behalf of his wife, because she was childless. Jehovah heeded his prayer, and Rivka, or Rebecca, became pregnant. The children fought with each other inside her so much that she said, if it's going to be like this, why go on living? So she went to inquire of Jehovah, who answered her, there are two nations in your womb. From birth, there will be two rival peoples. One of these peoples will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Yaakov, the son of the promise, was wrestling with Esau, his twin brother, before they were even born. The wrestling continued through the lives of their offspring. Amalek attacked Israel after Moshe struck the rock and water came from it. Uh, Exodus chapter 17 verse 8 reads, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, the resting place. Moshe said to Yehoshua, Choose men for us to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with Elohim's staff in my hand. Yehoshua did as Moshe had told him and fought with Amalek. 
Then Moshe, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. When Moshe raised his hands, Israel prevailed. But when he let it down, Amalek prevailed. However, Moshe's hands grew heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, the one on one side and the other on the other side, so that his hands stayed steady until sunset. Thus, Yehoshua defeated Amalek, putting their people to the sword. Yehovah said to Moshe, Write this in a book to be remembered, and tell it to Yehoshua. I will completely blot out any memory of Amalek from under the heaven. Moshe built an altar, called it Yehovah Nisi, or Yehovah is my banner, and said, Because their hand was against the throne of Yah, Yehovah will fight Amalek from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. In Deuteronomy 25, Moshe spoke again about this event. Starting at verse 17, Moshe said, Remember what Amalek did to you on the road as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you by the road, attacked those in the rear, those who were exhausted and straggling behind when you were tired and weary. He did not fear Elohim. Therefore, when Yehovah your Elohim has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land, Yehovah your Elohim is giving you as your inheritance to possess, you are to blot out all memory of Amalek from under heaven. Don't forget. Later on in Israel's journey to the promised land, Balaam was hired to curse Israel. Here is what he said about Amalek in Numbers chapter 24, verse 20. First among the nations was Amalek, but destruction will be its end. Mm. After Israel entered the promised land, the book of Judges records that the Amalekites joined other nations in attacking uh, the Israelite tribes. Together with the Amorites and the Moabites, they engaged in ongoing acts of war. To learn more about these wars, see Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and verse 33, and Judges chapter 7, verse 12. In 1 Samuel 15, we read about King Saul's failure to obey Yehovah when he spared the Amalekite king and whatever else he thought was too good to destroy. Now, we know that didn't go well for King Saul. Even though the prophet Samuel cleaned up the oversights left by Saul, in 2 Samuel chapters 1 and 8, we read about King David's encounters with Amalekites. King David did not rationalize the instructions of Yehovah. Mm-mm. He followed the instructions in his dealings with Amalek. Psalm 83 is a prayer about Amalek and all the other people who oppose Elohim's plans for Israel. Psalm 83 reads, A song, a psalm of Asaph. Elohim, don't remain silent. Don't stay quiet, Elohim, or still, because here are your enemies causing an uproar. Those who hate you are raising their heads, craftily conspiring against your people, consulting together against those you treasure. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. With one mind they plot their schemes. The covenants they have made against is against you. Verses 6 through 10 names the groups of the people who conspire against Israel. Amalek, 
is named in verse 7. Hmm. Starting at verse 9, it says, Do to them as you did to Midian, to Sisera, and Yavin, at Yadi Kishon. They were destroyed at Ein Dor, and became manure for the ground. Yikes. Yeah. Make their leaders like Orev and Zeev, all their princes like Zevach and Salmona, who said, Let's take possession of Elohim's meadows for ourselves. My Elohim, make them like whirling dust, like chaff driven by the wind, like fire burning up the forest, like a flame that sets the mountains ablaze. Drive them away with your storm, terrify them with your tempest. Fill their faces with shame, so that they will seek your name, Yehovah. Let them be ashamed and fearful forever. Yes, let them perish in disgrace. Let them know that you alone, whose name is Yehovah, are the Most High over all the earth. Amen. The story of Purim is a chapter in the ongoing story of Elohim's faithfulness to Israel. There have been many people throughout the history of the world who have tried to erase Israel from the planet, Hammond included. If they could do that, they would have been successful in preventing Elohim from keeping his promise to Abraham. But as we see in the story of Purim, that's not happening. Mm -mm. When Jehovah told Abraham to look at the stars, and if he could count them, that would be the number of his descendants. Little did he know that that number would include grafted in believers in the Messiah of Israel. Now, if you are a believer in the Messiah of Israel, and you routinely condemn Israel or the Jewish people, hey, you may have aligned yourself with Amalek. Now, we're not saying that everything the nation of Israel does is perfect or that the Jewish people are without their faults. We are saying that the Creator has spoken covenants and a vision for the future of Israel. Mm -hmm. The spirit of Amalek opposes those covenants and that vision. Now, we're urging you to stay on the right side. Amen. The Torah is clear. We, Israel, cannot be passive when it comes to Amalek. We are to call out and resist Amalek. We know that our weapons are not earthly. They are spiritual and extremely powerful. Amen. The challenge of Amalek is extremely aggressive and merciless, even if it's waged in a nonviolent manner. The spirit of Amalek resists believers' rights to assemble, tries to interfere with our giving and finances, attacks family members who are weaker in the faith, and does whatever it can to cause harm. Now imagine the flagrant disregard of Yehovah that the people of Amalek showed. Now word of the miracles Yehovah did to free Israel was surely traveling across the land. Reasonable people might decide to not confront Israel after such a display of power. Amalek on the other hand, showed no regard for Yehovah's power or his people. Purim is a joyful celebration, as it should be. While we celebrate the victory of Yehovah, let's remain vigilant, ready to oppose the aggression of Amalek. The question of Purim 2021 is, what would you do if you discovered that the way you live your life and some of your beliefs were out of line with God's instructions? Would you take the blue pill and disregard your connection to God's covenants and his vision for Israel, siding with Haman? Or would you take the red pill 
like Esther did, and affirm your connection to the covenants and nation of Israel? Only you can answer that question. Esther could have stayed quiet and lived a life of wealth and ease, but she chose to take a stand for Yehovah's people, her people. Purim is a Jewish holiday, and it is one that Christians can join in on. Tim and I usually attend a Purim celebration with our Messianic friends. But if you don't have a fellowship, ask any Jewish friend or person you know, how do they celebrate Purim? If they ask you why, tell them you want to celebrate with them the great victory that Elohim gave the Jews over their enemies. You stand with Israel. Amen, Mama. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Please go back and listen again to what was shared and talk about it with your family and friends. Thanks for spending 15 or so minutes with us at Red Pill Tour, where you can handle the truth.